I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. Now, last week we had the second ever online MK3D. That's the show that I usually do every month at the BFI South Bank. Obviously, under current circumstances, the BFI South Bank is closed, so the MK3D show has moved online. Now, on the YouTube show, the interviews have obviously had to be edited for length. Here at the Kermit on Film podcast, however, we have full-length extended versions of those interviews. So extended, in fact, that we've split them over two Kermit on Film podcasts. So, coming up this week, we have extended interviews with Jason Isaacs, Monica Dolan and Simon Bird. And next week, it'll be Andy Serkis. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the extended version of these MK3D interviews. And before we hear from Jason, let's hear the trailer for his new movie, Scoob. Scoob, do you realize where we are? No. Look around, man. The clean, modern aesthetic, the cool blue color palette. We're in Ikea. The Falcon Fury. Did you say Ikea? Nope, I said Falcon Fury, just like you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Shaggy and Scooby were taken? Yeah. This blue light came down from the sky and beamed them up. I, I, I can't. I, I can't breathe. I'd have to assume that if they were with their friends, they wouldn't have been kidnapped. Okay. Can you skip the emotional punishment? What was some guy in Scooby and Shaggy? I don't know, but I'd like to shake the hand of whoever created this. So, Jason, welcome to the show. The last time we were together, was, it was the 50th show. It was live. It was at the NFT. You remember that when it was possible to have a whole huge group of people together? I know. Like, I think that's the last time I was in any kind of crowd at all. So, it seems ha- only 100 years ago. It does. How have you been? Mm-hmm. How, are you, how are you bearing up? Uh, you know, the thing is, anybody complaining about anything at all, if they have a home and enough to eat uh, and aren't sick, is just whining. So uh, I call night about my children not knowing how to load a dishwasher and uh, just a million other things. But the fact is, I'm incredibly lucky and privileged. And, um, and my <laughs> wife is on her hands and knees crawling. You're not coming in here and you're not going in the bathroom. <laughs> Go away, woman. It's the only can you time say, in 32 years she's ever you, been on her knees. Can you, you say go, hello to Emma crawling on her knees? Emma, Hi, go Emma. out the room now. How go you doing? <laughs> This is live to all of England. <laughs> that will never happen again. There will be no kneeling in my marriage. Except me. And the dog. Now the dog's coming. The whole thing's descended into chaos. Dog, be gone. Go, Missy, go. 
<laughs> she really thinks she was going to kneel past the camera and open these doors and go into the bathroom. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> where were we? <laughs> How have I been, uh, you know, uh, this coronavirus, uh, apart from all the many other things to discuss, uh, likes the Isaacs men. You know, there's a, yeah. there's a genetic component. So two of my brothers have been very sick uh, in hospital, one for a very long time. My 87-year-old dad was sick. And they're all alive. They all are now carrying consequences. They will probably carry for the rest of their life in various different organs. And uh, and I'm stunned. I just I'm I was late for this interview because I was somewhere else and I was driving back. I'm stunned by how people are so reckless and think that that's two meters. Uh, and people I speak to, even when I'm out in shops, think that it's not such a big deal and they're not going to get it. And if they do, it won't be so serious. Uh, I've seen the consequences of it in my family, and I I'm amazed by how. Uh, nonchalant a lot of the public are do you um do you have an opinion about you know there's currently discussions going on about reopening uh, cinemas and, and reopening sure. the economy or what's what's your feeling about all of that well you know this whole uh would be led by the science you know well the science is really clear don't go near anybody else until we've got some strong therapeutics or a vaccine Economic uh, consequences are something entirely different, but let's not pretend uh, that going back to school or opening shops and has any science behind it. Um, nothing has changed. The fact that we're allowed to go and do various things is just because we won't be able to afford to be in lockdown forever. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's up to everybody. I guess it's everybody's individual choice, but I don't know why anybody would go to a cinema until there is something that, if not a vaccine, until there's uh, the knowledge that if you got sick, they could treat you easily and well. Um, I don't know why anybody would ever put themselves in, in that kind of proximity. Similarly, getting on an airplane, the, the new air, airplanes are flying now and people are packed. It's a disease. I, I thought Emily Makeless put it right brilliantly in her opening of Newsnight. This is not a, a great leveler. People who can afford not to do manual work or not to be in close proximity to others on public transport will get less sick. Uh, and so it's no, you know, it's no surprise that supermarket workers and people on building sites and those people who, like me, are privileged enough to be able to afford to stay behind closed doors are not as much. Um, I, I guess we have to open. I'm not in those meetings, but let's not pretend there's science behind it. Uh, our industry, the film industry, is talking about opening not just to the public, but in terms of making new product all the time. There, yeah. is, uh, there are constant discussions and new protocols. It sounds like a spy novel. The Bulgarian protocols are being discussed much. Uh, and very serious people at very you know, high levels because want to get back to work because the industry is full of people who are working a gig economy and, and you know, job to job as freelancers. Uh, and, and, uh, but it involves quarantining the entire hotel and everyone who cleans it and all the caterers and everybody for weeks and then testing every day uh, with the tests that don't yet exist, which is a test that tells you if you're infectious on the day you become infectious. So all these temperature testing stuff is bullshit because you can be asymptomatic throughout the illness and certainly for the first two weeks when you're infectious. Many friends of mine who are talking about film projects in Australia or New Zealand or, or you know, Scandinavian countries and other places uh, and looking to open up again. And it involves incredibly expensive and elaborate protocols that rely on a kind of honor system for everybody involved that they don't sneak off to see their family or friends. And they seem to me insanely impractical, but then I don't have uh, enormous number of employees and I don't have to generate uh, income for my company. Uh, I'm terrified for all of us uh, economically, but of a second wave. I don't know how you, how you feel. I know that you guys are sequestered away somewhere rather rural, which is lovely, but I just don't understand how everyone isn't looking at history 
and thinking, what can we do differently? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm down in the in the New Forest in Hampshire, and uh, and have been here since since all this began. And you know, as you said at the very beginning, I have absolutely nothing to complain about at all. Um, you know, I'm able to walk my dog in the New Forest without coming into contact with anybody else. I have friends. I don't know how who, you were able to walk your dog because you have uh, two podcasts that I know of. Radio show. You've got a new fantastic telly show that I'm very excited about. We'll ask you questions about. You're clearly writing books, making documentaries. I don't think you've ever been busier. I think you and Jeff Bezos have done best out of coronavirus on the planet. But you are also aware, Jason, that it doesn't matter what you're doing when the dog needs no. walking, the dog needs no, walking and, and nothing else. And of course, you know, I mean, but, but, but you know, on a, on, a, on a slightly serious note, it is perfectly possible to spend six, seven weeks. I always describe where I live as Narnia. You know, I mean, right. this basically, you know, I am in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it's very different. And I have, um, I have friends who are in towns, and a couple of friends who are in, in tower blocks, and it's literally not possible to get out of yeah, where they get live pressure. without risking coming yeah. into very close contact with people. And I, and you know, that's. I mean, uh, there is a. Uh, we've got a, a horribly incompetent government. We've got a bunch of people who would get three out of ten indeed at every exam. It, it, it's shocking how poorly they've managed it. But even down to, uh, there's a, I think there's a perception issue as well. So parks and sunbathing and, you know, all, all that stuff, uh, the fuss that the tabloids make about it, no one's getting this disease outdoors. It's very, very, very small percentage. If you look at the data as I do, I'm consuming far too much news like a lot of my friends, uh, you know, day and night, swinging wildly between reading some global expert who says only a quarter of a percent of us have got it, and the other people say 50% of us have got it. Someone who said, the WHO is saying there'll never be a vaccine or not for five years. And other people saying there have been so many people working on it. It'll be two or three months before we have therapeutics. So kind of feeling punch drunk with it. But this stuff about people being outdoors is absurd. Uh, no one's getting it when they're outdoors and they have a distance. People should be able to go to a beach and a park and the countryside, whatever they like. It's in spaces. It's inside buildings, inside planes, inside supermarkets, inside anywhere that you're likely to get it. So, um, but you're right. You're one of those people. I have a few friends who live in the countryside, and they are embarrassed how blissful that you know this time has been for them. Yeah. No. I mean, it is. It is absolutely true. It makes you. It makes you recognise. You know the freedoms that you have. Incidentally, I, I. I know you said this at the beginning, but I. I hope, and it sounds to me like the, the family members you have who 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 have had it, are at least on the road to recovery. Am I right in thinking that? They are. I mean, I've got lots of friends uh, here and uh, I don't have lots of friends. It's like some of my few friends when I speak to them um, around the world who don't know anyone who's got it. And, and so it feels to them like a very distant disease. And uh, this, in some way, this ties into, you know, back to your subject, which is the screening of stories. I, I feel like uh, I understand why, but the lack of pictures to go with the scale of the death and the horror of the lonely deaths is what makes people slightly um, reckless. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. Vietnam War came to an end, I can't speak English, the Vietnam War came to an end when there were journalists filming the Milo Massacre and various, Milo Massacre and various other things. And we've got shots of empty streets, we've got shots of people clapping for carers and rainbow flags. We don't understand why in terms of privacy and, and the horror of it. We don't have footage of people dying alone in corridors and people gasping for breath and, and you know, uh, wards full of people and, and the devastation of it and so it doesn't feel that real to lots of people they're, they're misreading information about it you know it only affects old people or if you've got diabetes and, and uh, i was listening to a wonderful uh, and disturbing podcast the other day from an er doctor uh, who said that when he 
needed a break, he went up to ICU. And traditionally, when people are very sick, you send them up to intensive care. And he said, I'm used to going up there. And I go up and I invent these narratives myself. I see old people and I think, well, they've lived their life. They're surrounded by their family. They've had a decent life. You know, we're taking care of them. But and, uh, and the thing that shocked me when I went into ICU was the hair. He said, I'm used to seeing gray hair. And people have brown hair and black hair. And they had no family around them. And those, those sights were shocking uh, to me. And so I think there's a misconception about how many people of our age, people who are 30, 20 something, mm -hmm. and um, you know, younger people are getting it. They just had a report yesterday that children are just as likely to catch it as adults. They're just not displaying as extreme symptoms, but it means they're just as likely to carry it. So when they go back to school, they'll be bringing it back into our houses. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I, I recognize the extraordinary privilege of not being desperate for money to buy the next meal. So it's easy for me to say we should stay inside until the science has advanced. But if it's at all possible, we should be very, very wary about easing the other lockdown, mm -hmm. I think, including my industry that is desperate to get back to filming. Well, you are managing to do some work uh, from home. One of the reasons that you're well lit is that you've, you've because you've been doing uh, <laughs> interviews for your for the for, tell us about Scoob and uh, you know that's so uh, that's coming. So I've so got ring lights tell us. here. Yeah, what's you happening? See the ring lights? I do. Yeah, I can see the rings there. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so first of all, that explains some of the makeup. So I had to do. Uh, I'm in this film Scoob, which is the uh, new, modern, updated origin story and rather fantastic, uh, fantastically realised. Uh, version of Scooby-Doo, the big Warner Brothers movie that in other circumstances I would be you know, gladding it around the world and do, doing premieres in different cities and doing junkets. But uh, instead, I'm sat in my uh, bedroom yesterday and did 60 interviews or 100 interviews along with the rest of the cast around the world. My daughters were told to, they sent me a ring light and some of these rather fabulous AirPods. And they said, get your daughters to do your makeup. <laughs> so my 18-year-old Lily did my makeup. She kept on just snotting, not even snorting, snotting with laughter while she, she's looking at me going, <coughs> and I went, what? I'd sorry, love, that's really not making me feel very confident. Then Emma, my wife, came in the room and went, get that off! And I looked like uh, a cross between uh, Danny LaRue and Michael Jackson in Thriller. It was not a good look. She rubbed it all off <laughs> and, and put a little back on it. She then, she's now taken to it. She just did my makeup again in 10 seconds. Then she went, it's flaking. Your face is flaking up. It's too late. Just go on. You'll be fine. So this is me. I don't know what she's done <laughs> to me. But, um, but I did interviews for a scoop. And, uh, you know, I'm doing lots, like a lot of actors. I know I'm doing a lot of charity videos. I love support for care workers and anything I can. Uh, my wife and daughter are volunteering everywhere. I have a, you know, I'm doing my bit. I'm an ambassador for various, you know, I'm doing Red Cross charity and Lumos and uh, Marie Curie and all this stuff. But, uh, it's so nice to be able to do not just a bit of work, be able to say, talk about something light and lovely and go, hey, why don't you sit down with your family and watch a film for two hours that's just fun and great <laughs> and nostalgic uh, and not feel like you're selling snake oil. So it was, it was just a blessed relief yesterday not to be thinking about, uh, you know, this, that and the other that's out there. Okay. So, so it's fine. Uh, you want me, I mean, I can sell the film. It's Scooby-Doo. Funny enough. Yeah, go on. So... As you know, I love your show. I'm maybe the number one and longest term listener of the podcast. And anytime I get to people's phone, I subscribe them to you. And when I said, oh, <laughs> am I to the person who's arranged the publicity? I said, am I going on Mark and Simon's show? They went, no, I think their audience skews a bit old. I went, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? How could it possibly be true that the target audience of Scooby-Doo aren't into 70s prog rock? Um, 
But for some reason, uh, I won't be coming on that show. So this is my only opportunity. It's a laugh. It's got, you know, I loved watching it. I loved not thinking about uh, what's going on. And I loved just, there's a bunch of adult jokes in it. I don't mean adult jokes, as in, you know, Les Dawson jokes. I just mean there's a bunch of stuff that the kids won't get. There's a bunch of stuff I didn't get because it's for the kids. There's music that's apparently very TikTok savvy. I don't quite know what the hell that means. Um, I don't know. And it's really funny. The, the thing that makes me bitter is that I'm a huge fan of all of the other actors who I never met. Didn't meet them once. You don't meet people when you do animation. <laughs> and I was looking forward to hanging out with, I met Zach. Sorry, Efron. I know Amanda Seyfried from uh, Nine Lives years ago, but uh, the others, like Tracy Morgan, I was looking to hang out with, and, uh, and Gene Rodriguez and um, Mark Wahlberg. Was I looking forward to the slide? Slightly uh, anxious about meeting Mark Wahlberg, but nonetheless, I uh, would have done that. Um, and I, I won't be meeting him. And uh, we you and him. you and Zach Efron, you and Zach Efron are like besties because you sent me a you sent me a video that you made of you and Zach Efron in a lift. Yeah. <laughs> I totally press ganged him because you'd be so nice <laughs> about him. Uh, and so I love Zach Efron. <laughs> I love Zach Efron. I, I, I think I, Zach so Efron's I great. I was backstage with him on Today, which is the, the giant national morning broadcast show in America. And I went, yeah. uh, uh, Zach, um, listen, just look at the video and go, hi, Mark and Simon, uh, thanks very much. And he went, uh, uh, and he was looking around for security. And he did it anyway, <laughs> because I don't know, he was intimidated or nice or a combo. Uh, and then I met him in the recording studio for Scoob. And uh, I said, oh, Zach, dude, hi, you won't remember me. And he goes, oh, I remember. <laughs> and I said, well, here's the thing. I didn't have time to explain to you. Mark and Simon uh, have the biggest you know, film podcast in Europe, but Mark is Britain's foremost film critic, and he absolutely adores you. He thinks you're the Renaissance man, you're Gene Kelly, you're, you know, you're Fred Astaire, you can sing, you can dance, you can act, you can do everything. He went, oh, really? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he, and he writes, you know, for the newspapers. He went, oh. And then I could see him soften in retrospect and wish he'd been more enthusiastic back in the day in the original <laughs> video. And I was right on the edge of going, do you want to make another video for him now? <laughs> and I thought, don't push it. But anyway, now he's fully up to speed uh, and, uh, and I'm first in line for the, uh, when you open your fan club. Hey, what's up? Favorite actor. How you doing, Mark? Mark, Zach, Zach Mark. I'm what's Simon. up, man? Hey, I just want to say hi and thank you for all the support. I'll see you soon. There you go. Right. See what I'm saying? That's what happens when you come to America. That's fantastic. So, oh, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, anyway, it's I, was, I hate selling things. I, I hate selling things no, generally. And at a time when people are broke and terrified about money, and rightly so, I don't want to be encouraging people to spend money, but you know, if you're spending money on other stuff, uh, sit down with the family. What's good? I mean, those people who've got little kids in little kids in the house. I don't know how they do it. I've got teenagers, and they are self-isolating as they have been for years from, from me and my wife. <laughs> no interest in talking to us, and uh, they're just monstrously embarrassed by our very existence. So we overlap occasionally uh, at dinner, but if you've got little ones in the house, it's got it so hard. Yours are both home, right? Yeah, so um, uh, it, it's we, we the, the family is in is in the house here in, uh, in you know in in the new forest, which is which is really lovely. We had a bit of a sticky moment with my mum, as you as you may know, but we appear to have come out the other end of that, which is. Um, you know fantastic uh yes thank you and um um yes so currently my my son is occupied is uh professionally employed as a cameraman because we're making this new tv show here and of course nobody's allowed to come into the house or go out of the house yes and so um 
they said, well, you know, the, in order to do it, we need somebody who can work a camera. And it's like, well, he's a teenager. Of course he's, you know, he can work a mixing desk. He can fly, a, a, he can do any. So they, so, so that's it. So now I have the, this really embarrassing situation of once a week, um, they they drop all the the equipment off outside, you know, sterilised, and then right. my son goes out, gets it, brings it all in, you know, pl- plugs it all, connects it all up, and then sterilized, he's on the phone. To, so they say sterilised. Yeah, sterilised. So they say, oh no, we we do that. Well, because because I've done a bunch of stuff. Uh, I was recording some adverts or whatever appeals for the Red Cross, and they went, we'll drop the microphones off, but it's all be perfectly sterilised. And I got it. So it came in a kind of Velcro bag with footprints and handprints. And so on. Well, that's a bit odd. Sarah's. And I opened it, got the microphone out, it's covered in hair. Um, on the subject but, uh, so of... I've, uh, I've got yeah. various films lined up, supposedly, to go. Yes. So what when, you do? You know, when this switch is flipped, and one of them is in Taiwan, and the director, who lives not far away from me, on, just before lockdown, called me and said, let's go to Taiwan. I went, what? He said, let's get the family, let's go to Taiwan, we'll rent a house now. And I went, well, what, what do you, I, don't, I don't know anyone, in, what are we talking about? He said, it's incredibly safe. They've got full lockdown, full contact tracing. No one's getting sick there. It's going to do way better than Britain. I went, oh, really? Taiwan? Of course, it's done incredibly well and much better than Britain and is really the the model, the kind of the poster child for how it should be handled. Um, But I didn't go to Taiwan. And and I wonder what's going on. I wonder what's going to happen. There there will be no switch flip. It's a very slow release, and it will be down to... um, I've heard you discussing this on the show and asking, you're asking Amara Santi and other people about filming, um, but really it's down to insurance. You can't make a show, you can't make a television show or a film unless the production itself is insured or you're working for one of the giant studios or the very you know, deep-pocketed streamers, Netflix and Amazon, Disney Plus and stuff, who are prepared to underwrite the entire show and if it goes down, they just write, you know, write it off. Um, and at the moment, no insurance companies will touch any film set. And so uh, it, you can't, none of the unions will allow the actors and the crew members to sign a waiver saying, I understand I'm entering a possible dangerous area where I'm going to get COVID-19. Um, so there is an impasse until one of those things changes. Actually, after 9-11, because uh, the airlines were uninsurable, government stepped in and temporarily insured the airlines. And, and I know that people are making entreaties to governments around the world going, will you please ensure the film industry? So we'll see what happens. Okay. That's after the you, question you did now. No, no. Have you, managed, <laughs> have you managed to sit with your family and watch anything together other than Scoob, obviously? This is you are just pouring salt. It is such an open wound. So <laughs> I'm, I'm aware that in your house, obviously, it's a non-stop yeah. film festival. Um, it is. I, it I it really out, is. I know. And in many people's houses, they, you know, I listen to your show and people writing in doing film clubs. And uh, I think it was Asif uh, Kapadia. I can't pronounce his surname now. Asif Kapadia. Asif Kapadia, that's what I said. I added an A for no reason. Uh, I ripped out the article from The Guardian, stuck it on the fridge where he talks about how all his family put, you know, films in a hat and pull them out and stuff. Uh, my family refuse to watch any films of any kind. In fact, they refuse any kind of varied diet. My daughter is mainlining Grey's Anatomy, which is a perfectly good show. And I quite <laughs> like, you know, a bar of Galaxy. But if I eat 27,000 bars of Galaxy every day after a month, I might just collapse in a puddle of, of cholesterol. And I cannot take every day. She just, she's watched 5,000 episodes. They've just finished season 16, which thank the living God I don't believe in. It means it's now over. And they're going back to season one. 
because my <laughs> wife didn't start in season one. So that's all there is. If I want to spend any time with my children, I've got to sit down and watch Grey's Anatomy. The other one, the other child is watching Outer Banks, which is just consists of a bunch of Abercrombie and Fitch models uh, spouting lines for Netflix. God bless them. Uh, and it's the most popular show in the world for uh, people who are uh, right in the middle of the hormonal volcano. But it's not me. Uh, I've got, in my house, because I'm want to be a cinephile, but I have a great big gaping abyss where my cinema knowledge should be. I've got Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and uh, you know Sky's huge catalogue and the, the uh, Criterion collection, plus Biffa and BAFTA and all the DVDs and everything over the years. I've got access, basically, to every single film ever made or that is currently not out. Plus, as I'm sure you'll be telling all the people who watch any of your uh, shows, all the world's great film festivals combining to put all of their most of their new product on YouTube on May the 29th yeah. to June the 7th, which yeah. is an incredible thing. Um, and I cannot get these barbarians, these Philistines that share some of my genes to watch anything other than people who are beautifully lit with perfect blinding white teeth spouting inanities. And it's driving me nuts. <laughs> I, wa I want you to adopt me or ask you to adopt me or anyone. You know, you are always welcome here. Whenever it, you know, physically, you can move in. We've got it. We've got it. Like Thanks you know, much. when all this, when it's possible and safe to to move around, just come and live here Thanks because you know it would be. I, uh, you know. And also, I'm trying to. So the other day, I, I threw a little bit of a hissy fit. I said, "For Christ's sake, we've got to watch a film occasionally. Can you just? Can we just watch a film one night?" And I suddenly realised, oh, well, I'm meant to be the father in the household. I'm just, you know, <laughs> throwing all the toys out the pram, and they were. So thrown, they went all what? Suddenly, I, I, I was aware that whatever film I suggested had to be the greatest film of all time that would forever sell them on how much films are better than uh, television yeah. and how much yeah. better their life will be. Yeah, I couldn't decide. I was crushed by the weight of the responsibility of choosing the one film that would serve all these different demographics, and and uh, and so I couldn't. I could I gave them a list of five, ten, fifteen, and then I, then I looked up your list of best films. Uh, one of them likes horror, one of them likes romance, one of them likes, you know, cynical, goth, unemotional things. You know, I couldn't. There was no sweet spot. So, so, you, didn't, you, so you didn't find on, one? I put on Gladiator. The other thing is I've got two... You went for Gladiator? Oh, no, I've got 14 and 18-year-old daughter. I, it was one of the things I had saved, you know, uh, and recorded. You had um, the whole history of cinema and you went for Gladiator? Because my eldest... Is doing the is doing would have been doing array levels. Is hoping to go to university and do English. Is being diligent anyway and making her way through the Shakespeare's. And at the moment, is doing the Roman plays. Ah, that's it. that's the thing I have watched. I have sat down to watch the theatre productions of Coriolanus, Titus Andronicus. Okay. Uh, give me another Roman play. Oh, Antony and Cleopatra. Yeah, uh, Julius and, Caesar. And, uh, not Julius Caesar yet. Um, and these are some of the finest actors of our day. You know who, you know, Tom Hiddleston and Ray Fiennes and uh, Sophie Cockney in much garnered productions. And I know that they're giving enormous pleasure to people all over yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. National, you know, I can't watch theatre. I can't, I can't watch theatre on film. I can't. I, I want to be there. I'd love to be there in the flesh. And I know it works for lots of people. And I know that when they broadcast them in the cinemas, and please God will again, they, you know, they're number one box office that week. Yeah, I find it excruciating. Okay, Jason, here is here is this. Now, here is the solution to it. Have you shown them a matter of life and death, the Powell and Pressburger film? I've not. Okay, no. that's what. I, that's the it. thing is, I if mean, I suggested I mean, it on principle, just my my very existence is an affront to them. 
if you suggest it, if somebody else who knows them suggests it, if they see somebody on TikTok dancing it, we might get to watch it. Okay, no, I'm telling you right now, okay. because I mean, you know, a matter of life and death, and it will work for all ages. And you, okay. you, have, you, have you seen a matter of life and death, the Powell and Presley? No. Okay, no, fine. I don't think I have. Right. Okay. So here's what you do. You whatever, whatever, you know, whatever thing that is going to be, you sit your whole family down, and you watch Powell and Pressburgers, A Matter of Life and Death. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, two things will be true. Okay. The first is that you will wonder how you lived your life without having seen this film. I and think secondly, that every time I see a, a good film, I, that's why. I, and secondly, I'm, I'm so thrilled about this opportunity. Secondly, your whole family will thank you for it. Your whole family will hug you and 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 love you I'm as the so great and wonderful. Right. I, you know what? I'm going to cling on to that shred of optimism. First of all, I love the fact that it started with you sit your whole family down. Yeah. Nobody in my family, not even my dog, does anything I ask ever. Um, but nonetheless, I, there might be a bribe or a threat or a you know somehow I'll lock the doors or I'll get them there under false pretenses and you maybe super glue the sofa. Who are you? We should have met yesterday at 0410, mon cher. Unfortunately, I missed you. Well, you couldn't have missed me because I wasn't here. Now, who the... I bring you a message from Mr. Trubshaw. Bob? Bob's dead. Oh, yes, he's dead. He says, what ho? Well, that sounds like Trubshaw. But he is dead, isn't he? En effet. But how? Why? Cannon shell. And what should happen to a man who jumps from his aircraft without his parachute? How do you know? But it is I who am telling you, my friend. It is I. Your time was up. But they missed you because of your ridiculous English climate. I am French. But what do you want now? You, my friend. What for? To conduct you. Where to? To the training center. Training for what? For another world. You don't mean... But, my dear friend, that is just what I do mean. It's going to be interesting watching your TV show, partly just because I like watching you and, and listening to you talk, because you don't watch that much television. And I am numb. missing films. I am missing uh, films because they have a beginning, middle and end. Because stories do something to the soul. We, you know, that the... the the fullness of them, the roundness of them, the, you know, the, uh, uh, the completion, the catharsis of it. Um, and lots of television, including the television my children are addicted to, is just another week of, you know, mini, uh, uh, you know, mini peaks and troughs. And, and they're soaps. They're brilliantly done, but they're, they're soaps. And they're, never, they're not pushing towards anything other than end of filling your hour. There are some, though, utterly brilliant pieces of television which do do what films do, but do them on a much bigger scale and on a richer scale. Uh, and I can't wait to see what you discover. What I'm curious about, there's two things I was going to say to you. One is, when I listen to you make your film recommendations, and this is obviously for people watching at home, uh, some of them are for paid subscription services, obviously. There are lots of films on YouTube. My mother-in-law just watched Walter Matthau and A New Leaf the other day on YouTube. Um, but there's Vimeo is uh, a place where a lot of indie filmmakers upload their films. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly, particularly short Vimeo. films. So, never hear... Yeah, but the speeches on there as well, and there are some. My agent uh, and everyone's agent in the world, I think, sent them in this lockdown time a long list of very cool indie films that are available on Vimeo. Yeah. Some of them have passwords in, which are unavailable to the public, but many of them don't. Yeah. And uh, it's a place 
to see those films that don't have distribution, didn't sell to Netflix and Amazon and Disney Plus. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and the other thing is, are you going to do only what's coming out now? Or are you making available to yourself on a show where you're recommending to people what they might want to watch at home? Are you curating from everything that's ever been out there? Which one well, yeah, I mean, yes, largely. I mean, I, I must say instantly, we, we have to finish in about three minutes because uh, your time slot's going to run. But um, yes, I've done a piece about... My time about, slot? I've just getting warmed up. How dare you? you. Uh, I've, I've just done a piece about Breaking Bad, which I watched the whole of, and I suddenly realised it was King Lear. I've just done a piece about The Wire, which you know I'm 20 right. years late to it, but hey, finally I got there. I did a piece about Life on Mars. So yes, there is a kind of uh, have you done the West Wing? Uh, I've funnily enough, I've seen um, uh, about maybe 20 episodes of West Wing in total, which I realise is nothing other than scratching the surface. But I saw them because. Mayo said to me, you have to watch this episode, you have to watch yeah. that episode, you have to watch it, you have to watch it. So I'm aware that there is a vast hinterland that I have. It's the fact that he took the most important, powerful, seemingly highbrow issues of the day, you know, political, uh, of enormous political resonance, and dressed them up or so, so embedded them in brilliant personal drama that it was yeah. the most popular show in the country for a long time. So it just gives a lie to the notion that the, the, the public will only accept the lowest common denominator. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Um, J- and then, Jason- of course, you have to watch the OA if you love. Oh yes, no, I know. Darling, yes, I know you do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Special. Yeah. I know. I mean, it, but only peripherally. I think Brit Marling and with her partner Sal Batmanglish did something truly original and brilliant, uh, and in a, with a structure and a, um, themes that you just don't see anywhere else ever. And so yeah. I, I would recommend it. But you know, obviously. I'll of course you would Jason listen thank you very much it's been it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I hope that when uh, when it is appropriate to do so that we are together in the same physical space I can't wait. Um, yeah no I'm, I can't I, wait. I'm meanwhile you know, thank you for uh, steering us I will uh, I will continue to be steered by you it's just I only get to watch the things you recommend under the duvet uh, I'm hoping I can rope my family in a matter of life and death will be my only opportunity so uh, if it doesn't work I know where you live yeah, no. Send them down, watch it, and then and then send me a text and tell me what they thought. Okay. Um, and and here's here's the thing. Actually, don't take it, don't take it from me. It's Linda's favourite movie of all time. You oh, don't have to trust far me. More, trust she's trust a far her. more trustable authority than you. Clearly, exactly. Um, exactly. And uh, for anyone watching at home, don't listen to any of the idiots in charge. Listen to the scientists until they've got something that makes us better. Don't go near anyone. That's all. Just stay safe. 45 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. 
thanks to the great Jason Isaacs. Coming up next, I'll be speaking to Simon Bird and Monica Dolan, the director and star, respectively, of the new film Days of the Bagnall Summer. But first, here's a taste of the trailer. Do you smoke weed? All the goths in my ear smoke weed. I'm not a goth. What are you then? Duh. If you actually thought anything mattered, you'd do something about it. But you don't, because there's no point. I just want to understand. Well, you wouldn't, so leave it. I just wanted us to do something fun, but you're right. I should have known you'd just be rude and ungrateful. It's not my fault you're the most boring person in the world. We did once used to have quite a nice time together, you know. What you said earlier about why'd we bother? We're still here, aren't we? We can't have mucked things up too badly. Are you going to eat that chicken? No, I don't eat meat. You ate the ham that was wrapped in? Yeah, I eat ham. <laughs> Let me start by saying, um, I really, firstly, I really liked the film. I thought it was terrific. And I, I watched it with my teenage son, which was a particular experience. <laughs> also for me as well, because I was in and uh, when I was, when I was younger and there were, and I, 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 all I ever want to say to my mother is I'm really sorry. So just tell us about the origin of the story and where it comes from. Well, it's, yeah, it's an adaptation of a graphic novel uh, by Geoff Winterhart um, that I read probably when it came out, I think in 2012. Um, and it just had a, a, a real impact on me and the book, the book sort of stayed with me just because it's so, I mean, the, the, the film, uh, as you know, is quite sort of plot light. I think it's fair to say, <laughs> but the, um, the book even more so, you know, it really is a sort of tone piece. Uh, there's not much dialogue in it all, in it at all. And, uh, it's, 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 it's mainly these beautiful, uh, drawings. Um, but it just felt very, um, it's very funny, uh, uh, but quite, quite sad and, and poignant as well. And really sort of struck the sort of tone that I, that I love. Um, and uh, yeah, when I when I sort of started thinking about a, a film to direct, I, I made a short and wanted to move on to make a feature. Um, I sort of kept coming back to this uh, wise, slim little book, um, and um, yeah, then my um, my wife Lisa uh, uh, adapted it brilliantly from the uh, from the graphic novel and sort of expanded it out uh, to create the whole the whole world. And when you say it's it's plot light, just tell if brief synopsis. I mean, it's a couple of sentences. What is the plot? Um, well, it's about a, a teenage boy called Daniel who thinks he's spending the summer holidays with his uh, dad in Florida, uh, but at the last minute, his his dad cancels that trip. Uh, so instead, he he spends six weeks at home with his mum uh, and they sort of um, learn a lot about each other and sort of grow as, as people over the course of that, um, that enforced um, quarantine, lockdown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going to seem very relevant to people, I think, yeah. So, Monica, you are the, the, the mum, and when I was watching, as I said, I was watching it with my son, 
And there was a moment when my son literally said out loud, stop being horrible to your mother. Oh, yeah. um, tell me about your character and tell me about her relationship with her son. Um, well, her name's Sue Bagnold. She's a librarian. Um, she's, she's sort of one of those invisible heroes who I think is, um, she's sort of the bedrock of, of, relationships that people have I think but but you know kind of take for granted and um she's heroic in her way and I think that she's I don't know there's something I think I think there's something epic to be found in the ordinary with her and she's patient and um she's very loving she's well read um and I think that one of the one of the things that is so um, pertinent about her spending so much time with Daniel and being forced to spend time with Daniel is that they're both um, they're both still teenagers in a way. I think it's a I think it's a coming of age story for both of them because there's a lot of damage for her that's gone on when she was a teenager and I don't I don't necessarily think it would surface if she if she wasn't spending this time with her son. She's having a real struggle with him not being her cherished little boy anymore and um she doesn't understand why he's playing this angry music There's, there are a lot of changes going on in him that she just doesn't understand and yeah I think she's sort of she came to a bit of a halt emotionally when when she was a teenager so spending spending time with Daniel is is it, it's just really fruitful for her in that way I think one of the things that's really lovely about the character is I have this this obsession with uh, with show don't tell acting. I mean, I you know I I love it when you can see what's happened, sitting down and saying to you, well, this is what happened to me. And there are so many lovely moments in the film in which we learn about the as you said that you know your character is carrying around the backstory, the ways in which she's been hurt, the ways in which she's disappointed. And mm -hmm. I wonder whether, from your point of view, is that to do with, um, with the, the script is not dialogue heavy, obviously, but do you do a lot of research into, you know, where this character came from, what her backstory is, what her relationship with her sister is? How do you, how do, you do that as an actor? Well, I mean, uh, with this particular one, um, Simon, I was, I was um, doing a show that, that I did myself at the Bush and Simon sent me the script and the um, graphic novel at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think, what I, I think what's also unusual about this piece is that both of the heroes are kind of introverts. And I, I don't think that you get that a lot. I think that's really unusual. Um, it, you know, it could be quite melancholy, but... Um, because of the way it's shot and everything it, it comes over is quite funny and um, just because of the nature of the graphic novel really there's there's just so much inner life in there quite early on it 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 shows Sue listening to the music that she listened to when she was a teenager because she's sort of befuddled by by Daniel's music so she listened to James Taylor so I suppose a I listened to some James Taylor. Um, mainly which, is ne which is never a hardship, obviously, <laughs> listening to James no, Taylor. No, I, I mean, I, I, lo I love James Taylor anyway, and I always have. But um, I think when I'm, when I'm working, there are two sorts of research you have to do. And one, one is um, research into the script, and one is 
you know, if there's, I don't know if your character's a, a librarian or astrophysicist or something, you, you look a bit into that and what they care about uh, with regard to that. Um, I think I'm always careful to let what I, what I mine in the script override what, I'm, what I might find out about those things outside because if they clash too much with the script, essentially the script's the story that you've been given and um, that you're working with. So, so yeah, the, there's those two kind of researches to do. But, I mean, some of the things that you find, find in a script are so, are so strange. I remember when, you know, the, the tiny nugget gives you so much information. I remember doing Pride and um, played uh, George Mackay's mother in that. And there, there was one there was just a little mention about him coming home late on the train. And because I looked yeah. at where the train stops were, I found out that he would have been on his, on his own on the train, even though he was with his friend, that his friend got off earlier so that she'd be more worried, you know? So you just, you just find out little things like that really, that just change the emotional temperature in a really small way. And you, you know, you might think, Oh, it's not worth looking up, but actually it just makes it quite different for your character. Just as a very quick sideline to that, um, gorgeous George Mackay is one of my favourite people in the world. I was just talking to him yesterday for our radio show, and I said to him, you know, um, I have never, ever heard anyone say anything about you other than how fantastically lovely you are. Yeah, and yeah, I'd just like to great. offer you this chance, Monica, to, to join in the collective who think that gorgeous <laughs> George Mackay is indeed the loveliest person on earth. <laughs> I'll absolutely join in with that. He actually—he he used to live a few doors down, actually. Um, used to be my neighbour as well. So, yeah, no, I can definitely join in with that. And he's seen the film, What's Not to Love. Yeah, yeah, no, he's just, he's, he is a constant <laughs> joy. Simon, um, tell me about that tone, because uh, Monica was saying the thing about it can be a melancholy story, it can be a funny story. I mean, there are loads and loads of laugh out loud moments, not least the moment when our hero finally meets the band, which I thought was just a great you know, silent comedy moment. But okay. tell us about getting that tone right between the melancholia and the humour. Well, yeah, I think, I think obviously I personally, because of my acting background, are probably more associated with a broader type of comedy. Um, but that's not necessarily my, my taste. I think the films that I love to watch and keep coming back to uh, are films that are funny, but are suffused with a sort of poignancy as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think I was very on top of trying to protect the very delicate, gentle tone that the book has and not, um, you know, I, I didn't want to corrupt that in, in any way. Uh, so I think that just in terms of, I mean, a big, a huge part of that was obviously casting and um you know once monica was on board i knew that was a sort of a, a major step on the way to achieving that because i think monica brings sort of um just a, a, a realness to to any sort of any comedy that, that she's been in uh, and a sort of sense of humor and, and a twinkle to a lot of the drama that she's been in. Um, so that, that was a big thing, but also just in, the, in terms of the way I, I wanted to shoot it as well about keeping it uh, understated and uh, static and um, just giving the characters the space to, uh, 
to exist. That sounds pretentious. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's what a big part of what I like about the book, actually. I mean, in, in a book, in, uh, just the characters that he draws are often quite small in the shot. Um, and uh, I, that, that felt like an important part of it. As Monica was saying, you know, it's about two people who... Um, you wouldn't normally see a, a film made about two very ordinary people who are sort of, um, you know, lost in the crowd and very out of place. I mean, one of the things I really like is sort of the, um, which you sort of forget after the first page of the book is that these are two people that are totally unsuited to be in, to, to summertime, you know, that uh, <laughs> Daniel's clad in black at all times. And uh, Sue is, is dressed in her sort of uh, woolen jumpers. Um, so I, even in the season they're in, they're outsiders. Uh, so yeah, I've um, now forgotten what the initial question was. You've, you've answered beautifully. I have a, a, a memory when I was uh, 16, um, of me and a, my friend who were musicians in inverted commas, went to the south of France to busk. And there were pictures of us wearing black jeans, black DMs, heavy black leather jacket. It is boiling <laughs> hot. Nobody is interested in what we're doing, but we feel like this is, this is the way we dress and we're not, and we're not, changing it there's also that lovely thing about whenever you do that being missing you know misinterpreted as a goth and having to explore what you are but of course interestingly enough in the film he, you know he loves heavy metal music but tell us about the music for the film some of which i've been playing on the scala radio show that i do oh great thank you very much um yeah so the the music is uh the score was done on the whole by uh ben and sebastian um that it famous quite... heavy metal man, <laughs> exactly, hard, yeah. hard rocking. The, the mosh pits in their gigs are just terrible. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was a weird, it, sort of a weird choice uh, in a way. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we, I, I sort of experimented with and, and thought about a lot of different options for that. You know, um, I guess sort of the, the obvious thing to do would have been to sort of... Uh, score Daniel's scenes with heavy metal and, and James Taylor for, for Seuss scenes. But I thought it would be a bit, um, expensive, a, 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 a bit obvious, B, very expensive, <laughs> prohibitively expensive. <laughs> uh, and also just a bit sort of, uh, jarring, you know, to go be flitting back and forth. Mm. Um, in, in my head, I wanted the, the music to do a similar job that, the style of the drawing does in the book, that it's sort of a narrative voice. I think as soon as you see the, the drawings in, in Joss' book, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're hand done, they're, they're, they're sort of flawed in a beautiful way, they're scratchy, um, but there's, a, there's just a, a, an undeniable warmth to them as well. Um, and I think that's what Bella Sebastian bring is, is, is warmth. They sort of suffuse the whole film with a with a gentleness that i was um you know aspiring for but at the same time when we, we, there was a stage at which it was entirely scored by ben and sebastian and at that stage i felt like we were missing one or two um opportunities to get inside daniel's head and um also just it's it's sort of sometimes feels like a yeah it felt like a waste opportunity to not 
put some heavy metal over some picturesque suburban uh, <laughs> <laughs> landscapes. So yeah, so it's, it's sort of 90% Ben Sebastian with the odd burst of um, death metal. <laughs> Monica, I love the fact that whilst uh, Simon was explaining that, you have to hand the, I the do. graphic. So, it, so it, it seems like it was a constant source of reference. I mean, it, you, you, the fact, I mean, obviously you knew that we were talking about the film, but the fact that you actually still just got, have it to hand. Still got my post-it notes, even. Oh, wow. My notes for Simon for the first, for our first meeting. <laughs> And one of the things that happens uh, during the course of the narrative is that your your character is approached in a library by, well, describe for me who Rob Brydon plays and and how you would characterise his, uh, his his character. Well, he actually plays um, Daniel's history teacher, um, and yeah, he seems he seems he seems to sort of hit on all the mums actually, or maybe I'm giving too much away, but um, so. Uh, so, so quite early on, uh, Sue's completely bewildered and um, elated to to uh, to meet Daniel's history teacher in in the library, um, and, and he's getting some books out about the American Civil War, which he has to cram for the summer, and um, and he asks her out, and I think at, at first she doesn't really understand what's happening. I'd, she doesn't sort of really understand that he's asking her out, and. Um, then she realizes that he is, and then I don't know. It's it sort of becomes quite big in her head, um, and but but they do end up going on a date. But I but I won't spoil that. I will say just what you were talking about, uh, just just what Simon was saying, and, and really in terms of the wit with which he filmed it. I mean, the way that the way that we performed it, um, Earl and I. It, it's we were very engaged and you know very truthful and it felt very earnest and then I remember one day for some reason just looking at the looking through the camera at a shot where they had me on the phone and um uh, to Rob Bryden's character and uh, well to his answer phone uh and <laughs> I I looked through the lens and just just the way it was the way the frame was set up it was it was quite long and it was through the door and, and she looked quite lonely and she was sort of crossing the door. And, but it was a really witty shot. And I, and I just thought, oh, that's, that's what I'm in. That's, that's the kind of film that I'm in. That's what I've and, signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> and Simon has, uh, you know, just, just such great taste actually. And um, yeah, it, just seeing through that lens and seeing what the picture was, it was a sort of a lesson in that it's not always the best thing to um, to have to have an outside eye. I suppose is, isn't great for for an actor. You know, if you're if you're mm-hmm. self conscious, it can be a bit a bit of an enemy of of being involved. And um, it was great to see that to see what world we were in and the wit around what we were doing. Um, and you know it 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 created an enormous amount of trust as well but um you know we our characters were living what they were living and in an earnest way and it wasn't up to us to comment on that it was that that's someone else's job so yeah there's a there's a um, seemed to me to be a, a nod to clockwork orange in which we see you know the young man sitting 
at a table doing nothing whilst you in high speed work around him in the kitchen and i thought two things when i was watching it firstly i thought it was a it was a really witty way of of showing the different speeds of what was happening the fact that he just doesn't recognize what's going around him the other thing i thought was how many times did you have to take that because in real time you must have been cleaning that kitchen for quite some time I think we only I think we only did it once actually Good. because Good. the thing was because there was I can't remember whether there was music over it or um the anyway the the we didn't have to worry about the set. so you know Simon and whoever had an idea could sort of say oh uh, now empty the bin now now eat a biscuit now uh, now uh, put the washing in the washing machine so um so I, I was just sort of finding things to do and I yeah I always act best with a physical activity anyway but um I yeah I do remember kind of thinking no offense, what we're doing good, but... <laughs> I feel like it was actually that scene was much harder for um, Earl because <laughs> you were very active, but Earl had to sit absolutely stock still. Oh, he was on his true. phone, but wasn't even allowed to move his thumb. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was fun. But I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't really have a sense of how it was being filmed or anything. And you know, I'm one of those people who thinks, "Who am I? Where am I?" and everything. So, I, I think I kept saying, "What are we doing?" and why am I going there? And it was a bit like, just do it. <laughs> Simon, now that, um, I mean, the film seems to have been very sort of successfully received. I, is directing your, your primary interest now rather than, than performing? Um, first of all, very generous to say it's been um, successfully received. Um, I think in general, the audience reaction has been lovely, but you know, it's, it's yet to sort of receive its, um, you know, it comes out June June the eighth, I think. So, so we'll see. But fingers, yeah, fingers so, crossed. Sorry, it had its official premiere in my living room with me, son. It's been officially well received. Oh, okay. Oh, everything else, yeah. everything else is stuff and nonsense. <laughs> okay, all that broadsheets, critic. What do they know? It oh, played exactly. really well in my front room. Oh, good. I'm very glad. Thank you. I want, um, I want to know at what point your son said, stop being so horrible. What, what, what was it that the last straw? It, it was when she was up in the loft and it was a really, yeah. really, really, and you know, and it was, and it, it literally said out loud, we're kind of quite strict in our, in our house about you don't talk when films are on because I'm a complete, you know, I'm a, I'm a nightmare with that sort of stuff. He literally <laughs> went, stop being horrible to your mother. <laughs> anyway uh, so simon so, Sorry, so now simon. that it's been so well received um is it largely directing or, or performing for you oh I, I i mean hopefully i won't have to choose i'd love to continue doing both if i had to choose i think i would say directing because well obviously it's incredibly creatively satisfying to take a project from the very beginning all the way through to the very end um i I love acting and I, you know, I, I have so much fun doing it. Um, but I continue to have to look for my sort of creative fulfillment in other avenues. Um, and yeah, I think directing is just, uh, was, was exactly what I hoped it would be. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to do more. Um. <laughs> I'm intrigued by that. What that that it was 
just yes, what exactly. I hoped it would what be. Do, what does that mean? It was what I hoped it would be. I mean, did you? Did you? I mean, if, if I think of directing, I think of like you know Stroheim in Jodpers and a you know <laughs> shouting. At me. What did you hope it to be? Um, I don't know. I, I I guess that I just wanted to uh, to feel like whatever the initial sort of. Um, instinct or sort of buzz that I got when I read the book mm-hmm. so I managed to retain that through the entire part of the you know for the entire process and you know obviously as with any job there are stressful moments um but I felt like I never really got uh, overwhelmed by that and I could always hold in my head um you know what I was trying to achieve and I I, I think hope that uh a lot of that is in the finished product. There's obviously definitely, you know, things I'd go back and redo. And because it was my first film, I definitely can uh, pinpoint mistakes (laughs) that were made. (laughs) Uh, um, But uh, I I don't know. Yeah. I I think I just, I feel an an ownership and a, um, an, an affection for the, for the film that, you don't necessarily always get with things that you're just cast in and, and don't have any sort of emotional attachment to. It's like having a baby. I'm not going to continue having babies. <laughs> Lisa, are you watching? Um, but, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm pretty certain it's not like having a baby. <laughs> I'm just, just, you know, I'm just, just put that out there. I'm pretty certain having a baby is probably harder. Oh, oh, right. Well, the physical, well, phys- we're getting into the physical act. Yes. That's, yes. Um. I don't know why I just can't wait until I'm back. Because you'll be jet-lagged and won't want to come into town and you'll end up with no shoes to wear to the wedding. You know, what about those? No. What's wrong with them? Horrible. What's horrible about them? Everything. It's just a basic black shoe, isn't it? Exactly. I can't get anything right. You can let me wear my trainers. You're not wearing your trainers. Why not? They're black. Hardly. Tipexed all over with that awful morbid rubbish. It's not rubbish. It's metallic. It's not appropriate for a wedding. It's poetry. People read poems at weddings. Why don't I get some new trainers then? You are wearing proper shoes to this wedding. A wedding of two people I've never even met. You have met them actually, Daniel. When you were two, Judith saved you from choking on a grape. I don't remember. It was rather frightening actually. Your face went blue and your eyes sort of bugged out. How about that? Nope. Uh, Monica, let me ask you, um, you've been involved in, you know, one of the, the greatest parodies of life in the BBC, something which anyone who's worked in the BBC has, uh, has struggled to, to differentiate from reality. And I think, I think everyone I know who's been, I mean, I've been at the BBC for a, a while and I think we've all said it's so close to home. Um, how do you feel about everything that's happening at the moment? I mean, I turn on the thing and I see it's about BBC Four being you know, possibly under threat. Um, how do you feel about about the BBC and what it's adding to the to the to the cultural life of the country? I think that the well, I I've got to say, I think I think I've never really experienced a time, and I hope that people haven't before experienced a, a time where we need it so much because if in terms of our news, um, in in terms of in terms of who you can believe, um, with regard to fake news messages, um, what to do, what not to do, um, 
I'm really glad that we're not in I'm really glad that we're not in countries that that just have sort of subscription news where they kind of shout at you. Um, I think I think it's it's you know the remit right at the beginning 1936 was to educate, inform, and entertain, and somehow that that trickles through, and some t somehow that is what makes it different. And I probably do sound like Tracy, who whose super objective is to protect and promote the BBC. But I really, really hope that I really hope that we come out of this, and that people that people know that it needs to be protected, and that uh, and that we need to, you know, that it's a great investment for us to keep paying for it because it. There are lots of criticisms for it being biased in either direction, but my feeling is that it tries not to be. And um, certainly it's given people a sense of security, I think, in times which, I, I mean, I've never experienced anything as, as insecure as this at all. We're really feeling ourselves as hostages to fortune. Maybe we are all the time, but we're really feeling it at the moment. So, yeah, just, I mean anything really, really familiar at the moment and anything that you feel that you can trust, I think um, best hang on to it. And I, I just hope everyone realises that. I mean, is there perhaps a home for him somewhere else in the world of BBC Sport? OK, Strictly. No. What? It's got to be some kind of sport, Siobhan. Yes. OK, so how is that not a sport? Given the strong reactions provoked by Ryan Chelford's Match of the Day appearance and given the complex and sensitive issues involved, the problem for the BBC is that they don't know what to do. What we're looking for is something that isn't literally match of the day, but at the same time very much plays to his strengths as, you know, as a presenter. Brilliant. Cool. Right. What strengths? Well... He hasn't got any strengths, has he? OK, Celebrity Big Brother. No. It's perfect. The fact is that's a Channel 4 show anyway. Well, it... Uh, Channel 4, yeah. Yeah, Channel 4. Channel 4. Yeah. Yes, well... Actually, I think that's Channel 5 now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I think so. Channel 5, yeah. Yes, exactly. Channel 5. Channel 5, yeah. Yes, we seem to have gone a bit off-piste somehow. I totally have. We really... I mean, you want to be the best duck hunter, you go where the ducks are. Brilliant. The ducks? What? And you take the hoisin sauce with you. Brilliant. Fuck's sake. I mean, this probably wouldn't work. No. But, I mean, what about something like a question of sport? All right, OK. Question of sport. Well... No, I'm sorry. As I say, it's probably not... Exactly. Well, no, hang on. Hallelujah! So, like, what is that? It's... So, I don't even know what that is. Well, it's one we're burying forever, for sure. It's like a quiz show, Siobhan. OK. But it's about sport. Oh, so what's an actual show? Yes, it's on every week. Cool. No, 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 sure, I get this, yeah. I mean, I think that's really interesting, isn't it? We love quiz shows. You mean as a regular team captain, or...? No. Well, I don't know. I just... No, I'm sorry, the fact is there already are two team captains for that show. Yeah. Yes. Yes, just remind me. Matt, Matt Dawson. Matt Dawson and Phil Matt Tufnell. Dawson and Phil Tufnell. Yeah. yeah. Right, yes. Matt Dawson and Phil Tufnell. And how are you coping with, with uh, life in lockdown? I'm, I'm, I'm aware that we're into the, whatever it is, the, the seventh week. And, uh, and, and yesterday I did, I mean, I'm very lucky. I live in the New Forest and I have a dog, so I can go out and, and walk my dog. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm with my family, which is great. But I was aware yesterday thinking... You know, I think I might be going a little bit crazy. Um, yeah. How are you coping? <laughs> I think it. I think it has sort of got to. The, I mean, speak, certainly speaking to my friends in the last week or so, I'm noticing. I don't know if it's programmed into us from when we're very young that six or seven weeks is the end of the summer holidays, and um, <laughs> you know now something else needs to be happening. Um, I mean, it has, it's been, it's actually been really eventful for me and, it, um, and 
I've been busier than I've ever been, um, but also um, from a personal point of view, um, my brother unfortunately passed away on Good Friday night um, oh, so from sorry. COVID. Thank you from COVID and pneumonia. So that's uh, <laughs> that, that's that's something you know extreme and. So, so we're just sort of dealing with all of that. Really, it's take it's taken a month to um, get the death registered, just because just because there's such a backup. And I think I think a third of deaths registered at the moment where he was registered are, are from COVID and pneumonia. So, yeah, it's. Um, I think I started out thinking, oh, this will be a bit. This quarantine's going to be a bit boring and a bit inconvenient and. But I didn't. I didn't uh, think it would be life changing. But yeah, and I and I think there's sort of. I think there's probably sort of a disconnect between people as well. People are experiencing it in very different ways. Some people are grieving. Some people are ill. Um, some people can't get what they want from Waitrose, um, and it's more inconvenient. Um, and some people are not busy, and some people are really busy, like homeschooling their kids and. So I think it's yeah, quite, yeah. I think it's really just, just in terms of all of us, obviously we're, we're distanced, but I think the experiences are very different. So I think probably the country's experiencing quite a disconnect there. Yeah. Simon, how's it been for you? Uh, well, I have, certainly haven't had any sort of, um, you know, personal loss on, on, on that front that I, I can't, complain at all um i have a two-year-old and a four-year-old uh so my days are full on <laughs> and uh, um, yes yeah, so once they uh once they go to bed i sort of collapse into a vat of wine um <laughs> uh, i had to kick them out of the house for this because this interview would not have been possible <laughs> with them in in the house um so yeah, it's. It, I think uh, my 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 wife's focus is is purely on on them and um, keeping them entertained and trying not to rely on just uh, you know CBBS twenty four seven. So yeah, I, I'll be I'll be very I'll, I'll be glad once once the country is able to move on. And have you managed to to get work done? Have you managed to uh, to, to to be creative whilst this is all happening? I mean, I I, I haven't. Uh, my, uh, my wife, when she's not uh, a screenwriter, is a novelist, and I think um, both of us work in the creative industries. And I think to do that, you just require a bit of headspace, and it's it's sort of impossible to do that in a in a house with two kids under five. Um, I so. Think Sorry, sorry, you go on, Molly. I was just going to say, I think also um, just from a lot of writers that, that I know kind of on, you know, and are on Twitter and things, I think, I think there's sort of an underlying anxiety as well, which even though they might have their headspace and time, it makes it, makes it a bit more difficult. I mean, I, I've, yeah. been, I've been really busy, actually. Like, I think you, you had Mira Sayal on the show and, yeah. uh, and she was doing um, Unprecedented, the digital plays. Yeah. So I did one of those as well. Um, which is kind of crazy because you're the art department and the and the you've got a DOP who sort of gets you to wander through your house with your laptop and says, oh, it's quite light there, stay there. Um, <laughs> but you know, and 
the director saying things like, at one point I had to take some uh, pills with a glass of water and the director saying, have you got enough water? And I go, yeah, Deborah, I'm fine. And then you realize that she means, is there the same amount of water as was in the take before, you know? <laughs> and, um, or, or the assistant saying, oh, yeah, that wallpaper's really good. Or, or, oh, that phone's great. It's really old fashioned. And you're thinking that that's actually my phone. And that's my, <laughs> that's, that's my wallpaper. So you're, you're kind of the art department as well. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't know if Mira experienced that too, but that, that, that was quite interesting. And I've done a, a radio as well in isolation. So that was all set on the phone. Um, and I, and I did the talking heads as well. I did, uh, the socially distanced talking heads. So that was filmed on the deep cleaned EastEnders set in a, in a socially distanced way. And it's Alan Bennett. So EastEnders and Alan Bennett, how British can you get? <laughs> um, but yeah I haven't I haven't really stopped and I think we might be doing I think the W1A guys we might be doing some um, little uh, digital stuff but I don't know yet so but yeah it's been very busy that thing about um, them saying you know that's that thing in your house that's a nice bit of, of kit and you think that is actually my house and whether you can see behind me this is <laughs> this is my this is my office it's the size of a bookshelf and it used to basically it, it, it's it's a broom cupboard and it's where I work and they with Simon Mayer and I have just started doing a TV show from our homes and they said well you know we want we, we want it to be in your living room well I have a you know I have a family who don't want me in the in the living room so I said no this is this is the only this is the only space you can have and they looked at it and they went why have you dressed it with busts of elvis and i went this isn't dressed this is where i work i like personal choices yeah it's exactly this is this is not this is not designed this isn't this is a lifestyle decision all right this is just who i am that's what's so scary everyone getting home envy other people yeah yeah, and, and also I, I I know that it has become a thing that when people people see interviews now, uh, you know, there can be somebody talking about something very profound and very profound, and actually what they're doing is they're going, oh look at that, he's got a copy of uh, he's got. Well, a copy yeah, Monica of was. Um, Sorry, Simon, go ahead. Monica was commenting on, on all. Uh, Monica was commenting on all these uh, books behind me, which looks uh, very different from what it is. Which is that my wife um, used to work in publishing and got given a lot of. Um, a lot of books, but they're often like the, the proofs or the draft copies that we can't just take to charity shops because people will be able to track them back. So we're yeah. basically stuck with them. So it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's more of a storage <laughs> issue. Um, than, uh, yeah, I was, I was really intimidated and thought, oh, now I better get one of those virtual backgrounds or something. But... No, well, actually, no. Your your the area of your house that we're in looks looks absolutely spick and span. Mine looks like somebody's broom cupboard, and you, Simon, look like you're living in a library. <laughs> and it definitely 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 says, "Look, I am really well read," <laughs> which I'm definitely not. I've got anyway. my junk over that side of the laptop, so. <laughs> Guys, listen, uh, congratulations on the film. So when will we we'll be able to see it when it opens on Simon? Uh, 8th of June. And, it'll it's, uh, and it'll be available on uh, all platforms, I presume? I think so, yes. Okay. And does it bother you at all that, that cinemas won't be open? Because I'm first personally, I thought it was actually lovely to watch it at home. But yeah, you know, I, is it, I, I you, think... you're happy with that? I think so. Yeah. I mean, 
it's obviously it's slightly sad you know for all the people that have worked on it not to be able to go and see it in a cinema um but but actually it it it's as we discussed it's sort of quite well suited to a lockdown environment i mean it's literally about people whose summer holiday plans are cancelled um so yeah i I think on on that front it's fine and it it, it's a it's a small film it's you know deliberately uh, a small intimate uh character study um you know i think part of the the way we designed it was it would be nice to give that the full cinematic widescreen treatment and take these very ordinary lives and um, portray it in an epic way. Um, but we did, we got, we got a premiere. We got it. We saw it and uh, the world premiere really, was, sorry, go on Monica. Oh, uh, yeah. The, at uh, the NFT. Well, I, I was really pleased to experience in the cinema, in the cinema at the, um, at the Curzon Mayfair. And mm-hmm. cause it, you know, it was, it's, it's a big cinema and you can, just you could hear everyone's reaction and it was so warm. Um, yeah, I, lo- I, I loved experiencing that and just the whole audience sort of laughing at once. And, yeah. Um, but they can laugh in their, in their living room. Well, there we are. That's the first half of this extended MK3D Kermode on Film podcast. Thanks to my guests, Jason Isaacs, Monica Dolan and Simon Bird. Coming up next week, an extended interview with the great Andy Serkis. Thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, why not visit our Patreon page where there's loads and loads of extras. Stay safe. Remember to subscribe, tell your friends and keep watching the skies. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.